Hey everybody, welcome to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we're E14. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our own and not the United States Navy or our respective commands. So you can take it or leave it. <laughs> so here we go. Part one of this new series called The Charge of Leadership. So can you explain for our listeners what the charge of leadership is? Well, I don't, for lack of better terms, leadership is challenge. It's a challenge, mm-hmm. right? Because you're dealing with all these people, different backgrounds, different moral beliefs, different uh, upbringings. Situations, situ- family situations. Exactly, exactly. So it's a charge. You're charged with that responsibility, whether you're ready or not sometimes. Right. A lot of that time, a lot of times in the military, you get charged with that responsibility by rank, mm-hmm. not necessarily maturity or uh, ability. Or time in. Or time in. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so these, uh, this series is going to, we normally tell you how many parts that we're going to have. However, at this time, we don't know how many mm-hmm. parts this is going to be because we do have four parts scheduled. But we are looking at a little, uh, adding a couple more people to it. So it could be uh, five or six parts. It's a crapshoot, y'all. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. But today, what we have for you is Alan Guerrero and his uh, story about his transition as a transgender service member. And what is so, so important to understand is that there's, um, with new policies, come a lot of questions. And what we what we want to do is we want to put out resources. We want to provide insight and um, help leaders and those that are thinking of of are you know getting ready to do the transition. Um, we want to provide information so that they can better serve their sailors. Definitely, and you know whether you agree with that policy or not, that's beside the point because depending on your time in, how much time you had left in the Navy, the odds of you having a transgender service member working under your charge is pretty high. Exactly. So you need to know what to do. And it, and that's what we're here to do. Help yeah. You out. And we just appreciate AO1 for coming on and being so open because, right. um, you know, sometimes we, we tend to to shy away from things. And, and like he mentions in the podcast, you know, he was hush hush about it because he just didn't know how to go about it. Um, and so we hope that you enjoy this episode and learn a lot from it. Yeah, we hope you do because it's, it's an important topic that a lot of people are ignorant about. Yeah, definitely. How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, me blow me life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! Hey everyone, welcome back to E14 Podcast. Today we have with us my coworker from Intag New Orleans, AO1 Guerrero. Thanks so much for being with us today, bro. 
Oh, thank y'all for having me. This is an honor. Hey, Owen, I'm going to call you. Your first name is Jameson, right? Yes. So I'm just going to call you Jameson. Can you tell us a little about yourself, where you've been, what you've done? Uh, so I was actually, uh, well, I'll start from where I was born. I was born in uh, Harlingen, Texas. It's down kind of by the, the border of, uh, of Mexico and went to, you know, grew up there, moved to San Antonio. San Antonio is where actually I depped out of. And from San Antonio, went to Great Lakes and did my boot camp time like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> from there, I got some awesome orders to the USS Constitution. And that's where I spent my first uh, wow. two years in the Navy. Nice. Yeah, it was the best duty I've ever had. Uh, from there, I went to VFA 22 in Lemoore, California. And I did two deployments with them and had a great time. And from there, I said I, I truly wanted a challenge. And that's when I went to Intag New Orleans and I became a recruiter. And it was a challenge for sure. I can attest. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have another Texan on the on the yeah. podcast. You know, now we now you're outnumbered. I know I'm outnumbered. I don't like that at all. <laughs> Bullshit. But uh, before we get any further, guys, let's uh, pause for a word from our sponsor. This is Vice. Request permission to entertain the audience with a limerick. A limerick, you say? Entertain us, you shall. If you want to make money for your show. Get off your ass and search for Podgo, a simple way to make some cash and get a sponsor for your podcast. Apply online is all you do. Then Podgo will reply in a week or two. Is it really that easy? Well, if I did it, then it must be so. Type P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. One more request, if it pleases the vice. Okay, fine. Proceed if you will. For all who request a Podgo account, tell them E14 Podcast is how you found out. Welcome back, everybody, to the E14 Podcast. We got with us A01 Jameson Guerrero. Uh, exactly, Intact's pretty big, man. Where are you actually stationed at in Intact, New Orleans? Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, so our state capital. Yeah. <laughs> and just no killing it. Because he actually just got the Centurion Award award, so he's put in, you know, from the time start to now, 100 contracts. Holy cow! Awesome, awesome, yeah. man! Congratulations! Killing it Thank out you. there. That's great. All right, so this is the first part of our three of our of our new series for season three, uh, the Charge of Leadership, and we're going to go into some di- some different scenarios that leaders may be. Um, approached with or they may have to learn I don't I don't know how to even say it because it's not a burden leader it's not a burden but it sometimes leadership can be difficult it's a challenge so that that's why we said the charge of leadership right so thank thank goodness you're here with us because you are an LPO so we're going to go in uh, to that but the first thing that I wanted to talk about with you is your transition process because you are a transgender service member so my, my transition was very much, uh, you know, I had to hurry up. So when uh, former President Trump actually uh, put the ban on, you know, we knew the ban was coming uh, April 12th of 2019. It's actually, you know, when he was saying like, hey, after, after this, you are no longer grandfathered in and you cannot come out as transgender and, and, um, and actually get your uh 
I guess your, your, your medical and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. basically what I did was uh, I was kind of battling with myself about, you know, what do I do? Uh, Cause there's a lot more that goes into it. You know, it's not just so much transitioning. It's what are your coworkers going to think? What are your, yeah. what's your family going to think? You know, what are my friends going to think? So so take us uh, back bet. to the beginning, because you did mention something to me or well, actually to all of us at our at our recent conference. And you said, uh, um, I, I now get to live as a man, which I've always been. So take us mm-hmm. back to the beginning of you growing up and all of that. So when I was when I was growing up, I was not the play with Barbies and, and play with, you know, the uh, the easy bake oven. I was when can I get my next Hot Wheel? And, you know, I wanted to play in the dirt. I wanted to, you know, I never wanted to, uh, I wanted to be friends and I wanted to be boys. You know, I wanted to, mm-hmm. I wanted to be just like the guys. And, you know, I always felt more romantic when I looked at uh, women and I just, you know, and I always dressed up in, 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 boy, in boy clothes and it was just something that I felt comfortable in. So when I started to go through puberty, I saw my body was not at the speed of my mind. So, Mm -hmm. you know, which goes and ties into mental health. So I, you know, it kind of made me extremely depressed because if your body is not going at the speed of, of your, of what you're thinking, like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a male. Why is my body developing like this? Hmm. You know, it's, you start to kind of feel, you know, self-conscious and not very confident. And so that's just kind of how my childhood was in my teenage years and, you know, my early adult life. And so then uh, did you go straight into the Navy after high school or did you have some time before that? Well, you know, I, my parents were pushing and pushing me to go to college. So I tried community college for a semester and I just one day went to go to the Navy recruiting office. And I was one of those easy applicants. I walked in there and I said, Hey, you know, I want to be in the Navy. And my recruiter talked to me about 30 minutes and he was like, well, you're going to have to drop out of college. And I said, well, you're right. (laughs) So I went to go drop out of college and I joined the Navy and I was gone about three, three, four weeks later. Wow. So, okay. You joined the Navy and then let's, let's back up to the, the first president, which was president Obama that that allowed um, service members to be well we say to begin their transition but really it was it was something like you were you were kind of alluding to when you were beginning your statement was that you were like okay is this now when I tell everybody Uh, so let's take it back to that point so you know when Obama was president I um I the way I like to you know explain my past I just say my past life because mm-hmm. that person no longer exists. So in my past life, I was, you know, a female and, uh, and uh, identified as, as a lesbian. And um, as I was graduating boot camp, that's when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was actually repealed. So. Oh, wow. So what year my was past that? life, man, I think that was 2011. I'm more than sure Wasn't it was 2011. Wasn't that recent? Don't ask, don't tell. Oh, really? I thought, I thought it was a little before that. Yeah. I could be wrong. But, you know, it, it's all, the Navy's all a blur. So, yeah, it, it could have been, but seems it seems like it was so long ago. Yeah, it, 
I, I want to say that I'm more, more than positive because, uh, you know, when I got to my first duty station, it was like a, it was like a big deal, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, so I, you know, I struggled with that quite often. And the thing about being tr- um, uh, a transgender male is that you don't meet a lot of people like yourself, you know? I so I, I wasn't, you know, if I were to walk down the street, nobody would know right now, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, 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 uh, it's not something that, you know, oh, well, I'm, you know, I, my shirt might, might say a lot, but, you know, it's not something that, uh, that a lot of people would know. So I didn't know many people like me. So I mm-hmm. didn't understand. And it wasn't something I would want to talk to somebody about, because if I did, you know, not a lot of people are very accepting of this. So I had to keep it under wraps and kind of battle with that in my own mm-hmm. mind, like, you know, well, what exactly am I feeling? And just recently, I guess, you know, I met somebody uh, in California and she uh, was a transgender female. And when I met her and, and thought, wow, she's so brave and, you know, she's able to live her, her life. Why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. Why can't I come out and, and, and be that way? I remember, you know, I was barbecuing and um, she was actually my my ex-wife's friend and we were, she was outside with me and, you know, and I was telling her, I was like, you know, um, I actually think that I am transgender. And she was like, well, you know, and she just asked me, well, do you identify like as a male? And I said, yeah. And she was like, well, why don't I, you know, start calling you he and him and see how you feel. And so she did. And I remember just feeling so warm inside, like, wow, like I finally belong. Like this is, that sounded so right. But um, I could not really truly, you know, be honest with the person I was with at the time about, you know, how I truly felt. It just, you know, it just wouldn't have worked out. But once we were able to separate, uh, I actually had enough courage because, you know, I was like, you know, let me live my life. Why Mm -hmm. am I living it for others? So that's when I, when I came out. Awesome. And then, and then of course, you know, in the Navy, it allowed that. Go ahead. That's crazy how that little pronoun can make, change your life around. Yeah. From she to he. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like, I can imagine that being like, if somebody called a heterosexual, like say, call me a her or him, it'd be the opposite. But I, I never even thought about that until you said it right there. Yeah. Never even honestly, because I don't live it, so it's hard for somebody like me to understand. But when you said it, it really opened my eyes a lot, James, a lot. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about that. Your transition starting um, Navy wise, or or you know back back to that point um, when when you you figured out, hey, this is who I am. This is I want to live this life and everything. And then boom, the um, president says, hey, now we're going to start allowing. Uh, transgender servicemen and women into the into the military this was your chance right well it was already kind of uh, a thing right so before april uh, april 12th of 2019 it was the thing where you could you know you can come out as transgender and 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 you can actually uh you know get the medical you know help that you need um you know being on uh hormones and all that stuff mm-hmm. uh which 
April of 2019. So I got to the New Orleans October of 2018. And I actually sat down with a doctor April 5th of, of 2019. So just a couple of days prior to the cutoff, I sat Brian. with the doctor, but I was, it was hard because, you know, I was talking to my chiefs at the time and I was keeping it very hushed. It wasn't something I was, you know, yelling out like, oh, you know, I'm a trans man and, and look at me. It was like, what do I do? And I was talking to my leadership for their guidance. And luckily my, uh, the two people I worked for were, I mean, awesome. I, I couldn't have asked for two better individuals to work for that, you know, gave me the, the strength to, to go, you know, cause mm -hmm. I had to go to a doctor in Shreveport. So wow, that's far. Yeah. So they were, you know, they allowed me to, they were like, go do your thing. You go and take care of yourself. And, you know, in recruiting, it's a little hard to go all the way to Shreveport and take care of yourself. So it was, I was about to say, I can't imagine being a harder job to go TAD, you know, five hours, six hours away from where you're working at. I can't imagine. That, that must have been tough. Well, it was something that, you know, I didn't want to go TAD. It was something I had to wake up in the morning, oh. go drive over there. Because if I were to, you know, say, hey, can I get some TAD orders? The command would have been like, well, for what? You know, you always have to ask, well, what is this? Yeah. What are these orders for? So. You know, I sat down when I got there to Shreveport, I sat down with the doctor and I mean, I was, I was a mess. I was a mess because, you know, I, one thing I didn't know is that when you actually do get diagnosed with gender dysphoria, that they have to call your commanding, commanding officer. Oh, and at the time I was like, I can't do that. I don't know what, you know, cause you don't know if you're wrong it, and because you're told like, oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. So I'm like, oh man, you know, this is it. But uh, they actually called the XO at the time, which um, she was, she was amazing. And she was like, we open you, you know, with our hearts and, you know, we want you to feel comfortable. And it just started there, but it hasn't always been easy with my transition. You know, it's, it really hasn't with, um, it's been, it's been good, but it's kind of gone in waves um, mm -hmm. with my transition in the Navy. So, so up to Shreveport, is that where you did, is that where they uh, prescribed you all the hormones and whatnot to take during, yeah. your, during your transition? Yes, so like I said, my, my transition was a little bit different than everybody else's because I got diagnosed by an Air Force doctor okay. because the Navy actually wasn't helping me. Uh, the Navy was actually I was calling uh, different uh, doctors, well, our medical here, right? So they weren't really being, uh, they were kind of like, you know, because I'm TRICARE remote. It, it was this whole little mix up, right? But yeah. I found a doctor, he, he helped me and he was, he was awesome. Um, and I started hormones that day. Oh, wow. I mean, okay. yeah, he wrote me a prescription. So that, that's why you say you had to hurry up because then, then the band was about to, to come that a few days later. Oh yeah. If I didn't get that, if I would have gotten that, you know, with April 12th or April 12th, the 13th, I wouldn't have been helped. So tell us about uh, your co. So at this point you have to tell your coworkers and everybody, um, how was everybody's reaction? 
you know, I kind of kept it a little bit to myself. Uh, the recruiter that, that trained me how to be a recruiter, uh, I think I told, besides the, the two, uh, you know, the chief and the first class that I worked for, uh, the first class that actually trained me, I was able to, you know, come out to him very easily. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that, you know, because him and I are really good friends. Uh, it was the other people, you know, in my in my division, you know, because I, my divisions are Baton Rouge, Hammond, and Lafayette. So I didn't know how to say that, you know, because you don't know how everybody else's views are. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, well, what are they going to think about me? But when you are, when you are a trans man or a trans woman at, at a point, you just got to be like, I don't care what people think. Cause if you do, then you'll never live your authentic life. Yeah. So I just ended up gradually changing. And, and, you know, I think one day I, I think I got, you know, I let them know like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And, um, I, you know, I told them, I said, please don't mess up my pronouns, you know, cause you could put me in danger. Because I don't think a lot of people know that, that when you mess up somebody's pronouns, you could put them in danger, especially in public. What do you mean by that? So, you know, it's, it's, it's very normal for people to ear hustle, no matter where people are. You know, sometimes you'll be at a restaurant and you'll hear somebody talking right. and, you know, and, you know, it's, it's just, you're a human being. And uh, when somebody misgenders me uh you know because they knew me in my past life I get afraid you know um there are trans women and trans men killed all the time wow and uh you know you know sexually abused they go to a restroom and and they get caught in the restroom you know somebody follows them to the restroom and it's over for them so it's more than misgendering just as being offensive it's also to be dangerous Yes. It, I mean, that's what I, you know, I understand like my family sometimes will misgender me because, you know, they knew me for so long in, in my past life. But I, t- I finally, you know, they've been getting very, very good. But I told them, I said, the more you misgender me, the more you put my life in danger. And I think when they when they noticed that they understood where I was coming from. So you were a, were you an LPO during your transition? I was. So how did that, how's that leadership? Was that, was that a big challenge for you? You know, um, I, I don't think it was only because I, uh, the Baton Rouge lost a lot of people. So by the time I became uh, LPO, I only had one other person working for me and I had already worked uh, with that individual already for quite a while. When I got, when I got here, he was already working there. So mm-hmm he was, he was really good about it. Um, and I still work with him till this day and, and, you know, you know he's about to retire. So yeah. I think he, he wants me to, to excel as a first class, a young first class. So um, now I would say I have, you know, some sailors working under me and it's not a problem. It's never been a problem. They treat me just like one of the guys. Because I tell I tell Jamie all the time that LPO is the hardest job. And I'm gonna tell you why. You're catching shit from below. You're catching shit from above. It, it's I've never been LPO. It, it sucked. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. change it for anything, but it, it was tough. So I'm just I was just curious if your authority was ever in jeopardy due to your transition. 
No, and you're, and you're right. I mean, you know, that, that's a good way that you put it because you do take shit from, from the bottom and you take shit from the top. And, and I think that's what, that what takes you into khakis is yeah. that, you know, how you're able to handle, uh, you know, all that and, and how you present yourself as a leader. Definitely, definitely. That's put it well out there, but. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you a question because I know that we've been kind of talking off to the side about proper turn of terminology. And one of the things that I think we need to get out there and for leadership to hear now that we are opening up to transgender service men and women is the, the proper way to address our uh, sailors because you know, you don't want to offend. And what I, what I fear personally is that they'd be so scared to, I don't want to offend, or I don't want to mess it up that they just don't talk to the sailor. And, and that's not the proper way to lead somebody. You have to be intrusive. You have to know that that person, and you can't be afraid to talk to your sailors. So can you kind of uh, enlighten us on some of the uh, different ways that you can use the, the words transgender and uh, your pronouns and that sort of thing? So um, best way to put it is don't uh, never say like, oh, you know, Petty Officer Guerrero is uh, is a transgender. You know, it, the best the best way to say it is, oh, Petty Officer Guerrero is a transgender service member or a, a trans man, a transgender male. Uh, you know, if there was a female uh be, you know, you could say, you know, petty officer so-and-so is, is a transgender woman or a trans woman or, you know, or the transgender service member. Uh, mm -hmm. You never want to say that, oh, she, he's a transgender. You know, you could say um, when I was coming out as um, trans, you know, trans or, you know, letting people know that I was transgender, that's that's the best way to put it. And I know that for, or I read anyways, that each person individually has their own way that they want to be referred to. So it's probably oh, yeah. always a good, good rule of thumb to ask that service member, like, Hey, uh, you know, I don't want to offend you. So just lay it out to me. You know, how is that? I mean, would that be all right? That is perfect. You know, I actually had, um, I had somebody that I worked for in this squadron and, you know, he's, he's a chief and, and he called me and he said, Hey man, you know, I just got somebody who is transitioning. How, how do I, how do I handle this? You know, what, what do I do? How can I help this sailor? And I think it takes a really great leader to reach out and say, Hey, I don't know, but mm -hmm. tell me so I can, I can, I can come correct. And you always, you know, if you don't know, ask. That's right. I think that's the the best, you know, you don't ever want to assume you always want to ask and, you know, they get upset, you know, like, I, I honestly, I couldn't imagine anybody getting upset because you want to ask those questions. You would never want to assume. Yeah. I think that's a great yeah, rule of thumb. Good rule of thumb. I think uh, <clears throat> I want to get into your uh, family life a little bit. If you, if you don't mind, uh, Jameson, of course. I know you're, you're from Texas. It's South Texas, yes. mm -hmm. I, even though I'm not talking about how people vote, I'm talking about how people think. I've spent a lot of time in Texas. Jamie's from Texas. I spent a lot of time in South Texas. They're pretty conservative thinking. Oh, yeah. 
not how they vote necessarily, but how they think. How that we talked to your folks about that. How did that how did that go over, man? Well, you know, it's so my mother actually passed away in 2013. So, you know, God rest her soul. I've never been able to um, let her, you know, be her son. So that's what, and, and people always ask me, what's something that you, you know, wish that you could do or uh, how do people ask me? They're like, well, you know, what is one thing about your transition that you wish could be different? And I wish mm -hmm. I could just tell my mom, like, Hey, I love being your son, but um, I have a stepfather and I have a biological father and my biological dad, super good about it. Honestly, my props are to him. Um, he gave me a card my, uh, my first Christmas uh, with me transitioning and it said world's best son. And I had to, once he gave me the card, um, I kind of left and I walked away and I went to my room and I cried. Cause I just thought to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody's son, you know, and that was the first family member to actually say that to me, to wow. refer to me as, as a man and my stepfather, not the same reaction, which me and my stepdad actually had a better relationship than me and my, my biological dad. Uh, my, my stepdad just kind of left me in the dust. I think, you know, we talked very, we don't talk too much. Um, and I think our relationship is now ruined due to what I'm doing with my life. But uh, my grandparents are really great about it on my mother's side, on my father's side. They're not around anymore. But everybody is really handling it really well. Um, I actually just got um, top surgery. Uh, what was it? La last month. Mm -hmm. So I was actually at home for a month recovering. And one of my, one of my aunts um, actually broke down to me and she said, you know, it's been so hard for me to, um, to accept, to accept Jameson. She was like, because I feel like I have to, I have to say goodbye to that other person. So that is what hurts families is that they feel like, oh man, you're changing this person that you were before. It doesn't even exist. That's not necessarily true. It's that you, that person's still alive, but the name, you know, stuff for me, I can only speak for myself is that Jameson is a lot happier. He's a better, he's a better worker. He's a more loving grandson, you know, nephew, son. He is an all around better, better guy. That's the way I can describe it and my family I think loves me for it it's, wow. it's almost like you woke up and the the boulders or the stuff you were carrying on the shoulders was was off and it was they were, they were lighter you want to carry oh yeah burdens. it's it's like being reborn it's yeah. like being a baby all over again you know and I had to go through puberty again oh. you know how terrible that is yeah. that <laughs> is the worst <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can. I don't. I, I. do not envy that going through puberty. It seems that acne attacks dudes worse than girls. Like I, I don't know. know. I don't know. My. I, I was. I know my cousin was jacked up when he, when he had when he was going through puberty. He was jacked up, and uh, not me so bad because I was a little. I had a little uh, more olive complexion than him. But yeah, he, I felt bad. I felt oh bad God. for him. 
Oh yeah. And you know, my voice was the first thing to start changing. So you, you know, when I know that you have two boys, right. So, um, the, the change, the, the, the squeak, the squeak. Yeah. The, oh yeah. I had that. Wow. That, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, you know, actually when all of, when I, I can't remember exactly what year when president Obama, um, opened up for our transgender service women, men and women to, to begin their transition. But there was a team that, that came together, the Spartan team. Sparta. Um, you, I'm actually oh, oh, Sparta team. Mm-hmm, they, and let me tell you something about Sparta. Um, Sparta is the best group I could have ever asked for because it's all trans, uh, trans military put into one group because I'm on the, the Facebook group and mm-hmm. um, you know I can I have said some things like hey you know I'm about to come out to my family you know what do I do and, and I've had you know they've said you know hey we love you you know if you don't if you don't get acceptance from from that family you have us so Sparta helps you know these young people who are who are just coming into themselves um, to be able to be comfortable because, you know, the military, it, it's a family, but, you know, not everybody's accepting in, in this family. And, but you know, for sure that Sparta is going to be there for you. And so like, if let's say there's a, a chief or a leader or, you know, CO, whatever, and, and they may have a um, transgender service member serving under them, would Sparta be a good resource for them to reach out to, to get some knowledge on how they can deal with their young sailor? Oh, yeah. I think that, um, I honestly think that commanding officers or, you know, just leadership, really, I think that they need to get, you know, they need to know these resources. Because if you think about it, leaders know all types of different resources from fleet and family to, you know, all types of different resources but you have a transgender service member that comes up to you and they're like, they don't know what to do. They, they're deer in the headlights or they stop they're, talking to that service member. Just, you know, they're just, they don't know what to do because they're, nobody's taught these leaders how to do that. You know, I, I could probably walk up to, you know, one of the first classes here, you know, in, in Antag New Orleans that in, is an LPO. And if I were to ask them, you know, would they know the answer? And it's not their fault that they don't. Mm-hmm. It's because that we, you know, nobody has taught them. You know, we've been taught from, from our younger years, hey, you have, you have this, you have, you have this resource and this resource and this resource, but what about this? Yeah, that's just like I told you the other day when I misused the words transgender and you corrected me and I was like, you know, it's not, I'm not a, trying to offend. I don't know what I don't know. And that was one of the things that Heath and I were worried about when doing this topic, because we were like, oh, we don't want to screw it up, but we don't want to be afraid of it either, you know? But this this goes to show that, you know, y'all are, y'all are you know, accepting because not everybody wants to talk to somebody um, that is, you know, trans. And I've come across a, a, a lot of stuff here in Louisiana, especially where, you know, they're like, oh, you know, if I saw somebody who was trans, I'd kill them. That's, mm. that's pretty extreme. Yeah. So, 
you know, and not everybody in the military, you know, because I look at my Navy HR when you when they came out with the new um, uh, policy for uh, transgender service members. I mean, those comments were disgusting. And some of those people we serve with in this Navy. Yeah. And there's no doubt that there will be somebody that listens to this podcast that has a very strong opinion. But here's mm-hmm. what I say to, to them, you know, and Heath and I have discussed with every movement that the Navy has done to include when we're talking way back to women on ships, women on submarines, don't ask, don't tell being repealed with every movement, there has been this huge rise of opinions and drama. And then it kind of fades back and we all get used to it. And then mm-hmm. everybody just kind of becomes Navy blue again. Right. But, um, it, but we're going to go through that yeah, rise. To, I remember sitting in an auditorium uh, when a bunch of people telling us that same sex marriages get the same benefits as if they were opposite sex marriages. Mm-hmm. I remember, ha- I remember having that train. Wow. And there was people like, you know, WTF, you know, this and that, you know, it was, you can hear the grumblings through the, through the crowd, you know, but my opinion at the end of the day, whether you agree or not, every, every human being has the right to pursue happiness. And none of us are judges. None of us are the jury. Mm-hmm. So we, we're all, we don't make policy. We support policy. Yeah. So our job is to take care of each other the best way we know how. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, that's not, I think something that, you know, the military is that we have to learn how to adapt. You know, we, we don't live, you know, in the fifties or the sixties anymore. You know, this is, this is 2021. This is a whole new uh, life and, you know, it's equality for all. We want everybody, you know, if somebody wants to get, get married, uh, same sex, opposite sex, marriage isn't easy. You know, I'm, I'm, True. I'm divorced. And, you know, it was hard. It was hard being married. And, you know, even though we didn't work out, you know, that was just something that, you know, hey, I, I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. But there's tons of people that get divorced and get married, remarried. And, hey, if somebody wants to go through that, more power to them. <laughs> so what advice would you give them? Let's, let's do advice to the service member that may be wanting to transition or feeling like they're out of place what advice would you give to that person don't be afraid it's it's um it's not as hard as you as you think and if you use your resources and if you're in the military you have sparta you can reach out to me you know i i just spoke to you know somebody that I actually put into the Navy that came out and she, she, you know, I think was very afraid and I was able to ease her mind. And, you know, I want to do that for my community. If I'm not meant to do anything in this world, I hope it is to help people who are coming out and who maybe don't feel accepted by their family or their friends or their peers. You are strong enough. You are worthy you are loved and damn what everybody else thinks you can do it and you can make it through. Wow. And then you want to ask what advice you give to a leader that has a sailor. Definitely. Definitely. So leaders that have sailors, I don't don't care if they're chiefs. I don't care if they're first classes, you know, any, not in a leadership position that has a sailor that might be thinking of transitioning. 
What advice you give them, man? Do not stop this sailor's growth. Because maybe they were, you know, biggest thing is don't stop this sailor's growth. They are allowed to, you know, live their authentic life. And you as a leader are there to bring them from, you know, from a young sailor to, you know, to your level or, or, or further than that. And you as a leader should be accepting and wanting to go up and beyond to be there for your sailor. Don't ever stop your sailor from wanting to be who they are. You, something that I want leaders to understand is that your personal opinions or how you feel or, you know, religious, whatever, your biggest concern should be sailors. Wow. Man, thank you for that. Sailors yeah. always, right? Always. Yeah. Well, we just appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and being so open because it's not easy. You just recently actually started speaking out about it and it's not easy to come on such a big platform and, and, and share it with everybody. And we are such a big platform, you know. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was speaking it into existence. <laughs> I know, that's good. I was too. <laughs> Anyways, it's not easy to share that story. And you being so open is actually going to help people because I know that it's helped me understand where you're coming from and helped me understand how to uh, word things correctly, you know, things I didn't know before. And I hope that it helps other leaders out there. I hope that it helps other sailors out there that are thinking of transitioning. And, and um, you know, I hope that it helps open some people's eyes. Yeah, perfect. And I didn't know a lot of this stuff either, Jameson, at all. Because, you know, uh, you're probably the second uh, transition sailor I've, I've met. Um, but I always call him sailor. You know, or by the last name, you know, I didn't, you know, I don't think about it, yeah. you know, I'm like, because, Hey, if I saw you, I'd be like, Hey, girl, what's up, dude? You know, I wouldn't yeah, even... because at the, yeah. Cause at the end of the day, we are just sailors. We're nobody different. You know, mm -hmm. one thing I, I, I will leave you with, with this is that something I told my intact New Orleans, I said, just because I'm transitioning, that does not stop me from making goal mission from, you know, doing my job. I said, this will, this is my personal, you know, keeping personal away from work, even right. though the Navy does help me with, you know, all my surgeries and, and all that, but I give a lot to the Navy and I have, you know, I put in a 101 contracts and, you know, I've, my chief has called me at nine o'clock at night for a projection and, you know, everything, everything I do, it's for the Navy. I love the Navy. I've given 10 years to the Navy and I plan to give 10 more. You know, I'm, I put in a CRF package to come over to the dark side and yes. I, I, I plan on, you know, putting on khakis and being that leader that we need leaders like y'all who, you know, are so accepting of letting me come on your podcast and actually explain my story. So we can help more leaders and more sailors. That's what it's all about. Well, thanks for that.
And now it's time for Cigars, Ports, and the Seven Seas. <laughs> I love that theme music. It's just so like, I don't know. And and so we have our setup and hopefully you can see it good enough, but we've been working on it. We're going to get a different rug and stuff, but we're going more piratey. Piratey. Pirate me, matey. Got some Davy Jones shit going yeah. on. So uh, we're going to pair this with a little bit of drank. Drank. <laughs> and um, today, you cannot go first with my drink. Yeah, I got to say something first. What's that? It's Saturday morning. Okay. At nine o'clock in the morning. You got me here trying to drink. <laughs> You're a bad influence. Only in Louisiana. But There's no judgments in Louisiana. No judgment zone. No judgment zone in the... Uh, pirate studio that we no. have here, the E14 podcast. No studio. judgment at all. We <laughs> you could start drinking at any point in time. Yeah, I don't care. Do you <laughs> just re replenish what you drink of mine, though? That's all I ask. <laughs> so, uh, all right, I'm gonna go first because I'm really excited about this. I have another Bayou Rum. So, our last episode, I I had the uh, Bayou Rum from Lacazine, but. Uh, that was a rye, I think it was. It was, it was like it was made with cane sugar. Cane sugar it was cane. A darker, yeah, it was a little darker. This one is a white rum, and it is a hundred percent copper pot steel, white Louisiana rum, and this is alcohol volume forty percent, which equates to what? That's eighty proof to you and me, Jen. Okay, eighty proof. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, and they they've been around since two thousand and eleven, and um, everything is they they distill with sugarcane that is grown in Louisiana. So you probably would not be able to get the same taste from anywhere else but Lacassine, Louisiana. And um, this one I'm mixing. Well, I'm going to taste it outright for you first, but uh let me open it maybe i'll have a better time yeah it, okay, I, you had hell with it last week oh that that was yeah. a sorry open i made a pop i heard a tiny little thing. all right i'm gonna taste it out right are you going straight Eat, now if you will. okay the last one smelled really buttery this one does not have a buttery smell it has a candy whoa candy. sugary type smell so A lot more bite than the last, than the last one. Your eyes are watered. A lot more bite. <laughs> um, but I'm mixing this today with uh, a Truly, which are the hard seltzers, uh, strawberry lemonade, a little bit of lime juice, and a splash of mango juice. And I've been making my own daiquiris, y'all. And, you know, we have drive through daiquiris here. Yeah. But my daiquiris are amazing and that's why i asked for a white rum because um i get the frozen strawberries i'm just going to go into two two cocktails here i get the frozen strawberries agave uh sweetener which is a syrup a little bit of water and then some rum and it's way better than any drive-through daiquiri that's good it's legit i love it what are you drinking i'm having some widow jane uh 10 year it's a bourbon. Uh, I think it's distilled up in New York. I love this. I love this uh, whiskey. My, our friend Ian, or this uh, Ian from My Whiskey, My podcast, whiskey podcast uh, recommended it, and Jamie got me a bottle 
uh, for my birthday last month. And this is the last bit I have. Oh, I killed it. So this is a couple ounces though. So I should get good. It's hard to find down here. Um, it is it is it, because they had to order it specially for your birthday, but I bought our friend some mm-hmm. and they had a few bottles there yeah. at the place. That and might be the only bottles they have. Yeah. Left, so it's really good. And, uh, I'm going to take a sip right now. Actually, I'm going to do it in, in honor of Ian. I'm going to, you're going to do it. Open it, open I'll, your mouth and breathe. My mouth breathing. That's good. Then I'm going to take a little sip. Oh, get my palate ready. Take another sip. Pull it around. And the final, I'm going to chew that shit. I take a sip and I chew it. It gets on the vapors out. So it's going to hit pretty hard. I think this is probably about 90, 90, 90, 95 proof. Ooh. So tell us what you're oh, tasting. Man, I, I taste, I taste caramel. Ooh, I do. It's really good. I love it. I'm gonna drink it again. <laughs> All right. So today's topic for the cigars, ports, and the seven seat. Oh shoot, we forgot about your cigar. Oh yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Which one are you gonna smoke later after the show? Yeah, not inside here. Okay. So this is a Rocky Patel Sun Grown Maduro. Love this cigar. It's strong. It's a little strong. So if you're a brand new cigar smoker, I wouldn't recommend this right away until you get used to it. Uh-huh. But the flavors are amazing. You get a little bit of cocoa. I, I get I get the uh, little coffee notes of it. Uh, beautiful wrapper. I don't know how good you can see it from this far away, but it's a beautiful wrapper. Rocky Patel's been taking a lot of shit lately. Back when I was in 2008, when I first started smoking cigars. Rocky Patel was the big thing. I smoked nothing but Rocky Patel. I loved every one of his uh, cigars. And then I took a break for about 10 years and I came back to it recently in the last year. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like Rocky Patel. Well, you know what? I don't, I don't agree with them at all. Rocky Patel is a great, great cigar maker. His stuff is top notch. Hmm. So I recommend you uh, see these in the, uh, this Rocky Patel Sun Grown Maduro in, the, uh, in your cigar shop. I definitely recommend picking one up. Yeah. And getting your palate used to cigars first before you start off. Right. On it. Maybe yeah. that's why they don't like it because they're not cigar well, no, smokers. He don't have not all this stuff is as strong. Oh, it's just this one. And that one. To me, I don't think it's super strong, but some people might. It's a medium. Oh, okay. Uh, on the high, higher of the medium, medium body. Yeah. So let's get into our topic today let's because we are talking about diversity in the Navy and inclusion. And you know what's so so crazy to me is that the Navy is so i tell people all of the time the navy is so diverse right we've got air sea subsurface we've got information warfare and uh, special warfare divers and people that jump out of uh, airplanes perfectly perfectly good airplanes yeah you know we've got so much diversity in our navy in one of the great things about the Navy is that we have always been kind of on the forefront of inclusion. So if you go back to World War II days, I believe it was nine. Oh, shoot. It's about the 40s? Yeah. Oh, about the, the first the, females? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that you was know a- what? Take a break and um, give me that book right there. So if you go back to the World War II days, you know, back in 1942, 
that is when the first females started coming on board uh, with the Navy as the waves. Waves, yeah. Yeah. And they were just reservists and they were there to kind of support more. They weren't, they weren't like, I wouldn't say they had active billets. They were more like support, right? Right. They would support the effort. Support the effort in the war. war. And, you know, even to this day, we're in 2021 and I'll walk by an older gentleman in uniform and they'll ask me, are you a wave? And I'm like, no, no, sir. Think about that guy. There's no way that guy was alive. I mean, he might have been a kid in the 40s. Right. But I don't get why they still, (laughs) (laughs) this is, I mean, you got to think if you were an adult in the 40s, you're probably not alive right now. That was a long time ago. So this guy was probably born in the fifties and maybe the waves were around then, but that, that we haven't, we've gotten away from that for years, decades. No, they could be born in the forties, but I'm 40s, just saying yeah. they were just kids. Right. So Little kids, you know, a lot has changed since World War II days. A and, lot. Um, in our military, you know, and then the, um, did you know, that before that, they were like in a support role. Women were in a support role. But in 1974, we had our first aviator. Wow. Woman aviator. And um, wow. So 74, I mean, that was like, I mean, when you were almost born. So I wasn't, wasn't born yet. That wasn't that long ago, though. According to you, it was a long ass time ago. Well, it was. Okay. But I'm saying, like, in the grand scheme of the <laughs> Navy, 1775, no. I mean, that wasn't that no. long ago. No. But, you know, and, and then guess when we started allowing women on sh- ships in 93? 93. Was that, that was only a few years before I joined the Navy. Only a few years before you joined the Navy, we started allowing women on ships. And e- with each time that we have, gone towards inclusion and diversified our navy there has been massive uproars i mean now you were probably old enough to remember um the the women on ships thing or it was fairly new when you joined honestly believe it or not this is how far the navy came in those few years Mm -hmm. i've never known a ship with that i've never been on a ship that didn't have women on board now were there still naysayers when you joined did you do you Uh, remember not bad not bad I mean, you had a lot of these old salts sometimes that have been around since the 70s. You're right. That might have that might have said something. But for the most part, it was a to me, I never I didn't know it not being normal. It seemed normal. So we I mean, from 93 to 96 is when you joined. Yeah, me. I got to my first ship in 97, 98. Yeah. So in that in that three or four years time span, the Navy leaps and bounds. Yeah. Um, it was like it included women in. I think they had already refitted all these ships to support female crew members. So they had wow. female bathrooms and things like that, uh, separated berthings and all that. They'd already done that in that short amount of time. That's amazing. Yeah. Cause it's, my first ship was Abraham Lincoln and it was commissioned in 89 and it was commissioned before females on ships. Wow. So they did all that work. And by the time I checked on board in 97, 98, it already been refitted for females. That's that's a great amount of work in a, in a short amount of time. Right, a lot, you know, a lot of work. You got to think that's got to pass through Congress and everything. You just don't do it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of red tape you got to go through first. Yeah, and then moving forward in 2011, we had the Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal, and and I was in by this time, so I do remember 
everybody being like, oh my gosh, we're allowing LGBT in the, in the military. And it was tons of uproar in the media, in the Navy ranks. Um, I remember, I remember, um, you know, when they, when they put it out and, and then all of a sudden, uh, b- before that service members were, maybe they were uh, gay, but they weren't telling anybody. No, they were only their close friends knew. Right. If that. Yeah. It was a uh, hush hush. And I honestly, I remember sitting in an auditorium. It doesn't seem that long ago. It was probably a while ago. And I remember the Navy, they were, they were briefing us on the new Navy's policy of same sex marriages, mm-hmm. getting the same benefits as heterosexual marriages. Yeah. It was, and it was a big deal. People were, you know, you hear the grumblings and, you know, but you know what? It's like, it's never happened. It's so normal now. Right. In 2021. It's like, it's like, I wouldn't, it's harder to picture a Navy without that. It's hard to picture a Navy where our shipmates were having to live undercover or under wraps or live a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That is hard to, to picture. Yeah. And then, um, Moving forward, 2013, we allowed women on subs. And that's right around the time, we didn't get the exact date, but that's right around the time when we started allowing women into the Navy SEALs and the um, Navy SWIG communities, yeah. NSW. Yeah. And man, were there grumblings about that. Oh, I'm sure. I wasn't and, NSW at the time, but I can well, imagine. I heard, uh, no, no, no. That maybe is, is more recent than 2013, Yeah, I think. So anyway, let's go back to the subs. Um, a lot of people were like, well, where are they going to sleep? Because, you know, a lot of submariners, they hot rack. Yeah. So that meaning that they share racks uh, when one's on shift, you're sleeping. When the other one's on shift, you're, they're they're using that rack. Yeah, they work the watch bill around so they're not sleeping at the same time. Right. So they, they work it around. So they like, like, like Jamie said, one's on watch, one's racking out and then vice versa. Right. And so I remember they were like, well, where are they supposed to sleep and how are they going to hot rack? And, and it was a big to do big to do. Cause that's, that's a big fleet of submarines to refit. Mm-hmm. That is. And, and small vessels to you, you can't really have extra bathrooms or birthing or anything like that so i remember they were like well, where are they going to put these females you know right and that was just in 2013 that wasn't that long ago well i remember they started out with officers and they started mm-hmm. with enlisted they started out women. with officers yeah and then they went to the enlisted women um but it was a it was right now it's it's like normal to have women on subs but before then it was it was unheard of Un- heard of it was like that would never happen unfathomable yeah yeah and then of course moving forward to the uh the women in nsw um we we still haven't had one woman get through because they said of course they're not going to lower the standard which is right right you know it's special warfare the standard is the standard mm-hmm. um we've had some women come close to that but like i mentioned before when i joined it was like, no, the Navy doesn't want to put his daughters, daughters on the front line. There's no They're way. not ready for that. They're yet. not ready for that. And now, I mean, the glass ceiling, as yeah. they say, has been shattered. Yeah, <laughs> and has. women can serve in all facets of the, of the Navy. Um, and, you know, of course, with the Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And then, of course, in 2019, 
we moved into uh, allowing transgender. Transgender sailors actually to join, but they can go through their transition. While in. While in. Yes. Um, and of course, it was, uh, it was closed down. It's back open now in 2021. It was closed down um, for... It was April of 19th. Yeah, April of 19, when, when it was closed down, um, that we weren't allowing new accessions. You either had to be fully transitioned, which is the wrong terminology. You don't say fully transitioned, but you either had to be complete with that transition to join right, and, and recognize as that gender, to join as that gender, or you had to stop your, your process. Right. Um, but now we're allowing... It again and it's it's been a lot of uproar a lot of negative comments that I've seen but like you told me before with every point in time on this timeline of diversity and inclusion there has been drama always no surrounding people, it people don't like people I think are naturally against change or the yeah. battle change a little bit. And well, if you're in the Navy, you're in the wrong business because it's changing. Every, I've changed. There's been a, several changes I've been in in my 25 years. Uniform changes. Oh, like, like, like the weather. <laughs> <laughs> and with each uniform change, there's a lot of grumbling as oh, well. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and, and you know what I find so unique about our, our branch is that we're still the world's greatest Navy, meaning that there no other Navy can match us. And I think that it's because we're ever evolving to the times. Think about information warfare. We were one of the first to get on board with information warfare. And now that may be the only war that we fight in right. years to come. It's not, it's not a ground war where you got two people, two, two of, uh, opposing sides right. running, running at, running like at each war. other. <laughs> yes. It's not like that. It's all information it's all drones it's coming at you from anywhere but but it's it's, it's not with a thousand troops right it's not the same type of, of of military it's not the same type of world that we were living in back in the day we need all all hands on deck no matter your race creed gender your uh ethnicity, whatever it may be, or, or your, you know, uh, sexual preference, it doesn't matter. We need, if you are a sailor and you are bringing 100% of yourself and helping with that mission, this is why our Navy is so great, yep. because we don't care about your color of your skin, or if you're male or female, as long as you bring 100% to the mission, you're a sailor and we need you. And it's why we're so strong. Yeah, definitely. So like, as a guy that's been, been in charge of sailors for a while now, I, I never cared. You give me everything you got. Hmm? If you don't, then we got a problem. I don't care if you're black, purple, green. I don't care if you're a woman, a uh, man, I don't care. Give me a hundred percent. Right. That's all I ever asked. And that's, that's our Navy today. So we, uh, not without its challenges, but 
I mean, just as when we went away from dungarees and all of that upheaval yeah. that went with that. I'm or still when, pissed off about or that. Or when we went from the blue camis to the green camis. Uh, I, I group this new policy. I group all of that into that. It's like, okay, well, we're going to have rises and falls and, and naysayers and yes sayers. And, but as a whole, our United States Navy gets stronger every day. Would you, would you agree? I definitely agree. And at the end of the day, what's our job? Warheads on foreheads. Yeah. As long as we can do that and we can do it better than everybody else, <laughs> I think we're winning. Yeah. So with that, we'll wish you fair winds. And following seas.